0: Welcome back to the Ball and Breakfast podcast, everyone. I'm Patrick Miller, alongside Wayne Pua, uh, bringing you another episode here. We have special guest Charles Wong uh, representing the restaurant Umami Q. Um, we'll be talking to him about how he got this restaurant started, uh, his roots in Chicago. He's a big sports fan, just like us. Um, we're going to go through all of it. I'm going to kick it over to Wayne to, you know, set Charles up and uh, give us some background on you know how he knows him and. You know how this conversation uh, came to be yeah
1: um so first off yeah charles is a good friend of mine but uh you know i met him in college uh, we were all part of the same business, fr- business fraternity uh at DePaul, and you know uh i i remember i think one of the first times i met him you know he uh he like took me under his wing a little bit showed me the ropes and i was like oh this guy's really cool and then, you know, eventually, you know, I moved to Seattle and did my whole thing there. But then I remember he was like one of the first people I feel like I contacted, A, because I know he loves food and he also loves the White Sox. And, you know, uh, he yeah. So he's always been a, kind of a good friend there uh, for me. So um, and I just I, I guess I just also wanted to figure out more of his journey and everything. So um, with all that, I think, Charles, it, tell us more about Umami Q, what's it all about uh, and kind of like how did you get started on all that?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, So first, we aren't a restaurant, a restaurant yet. Um, Not sure where we're going to take that. Um, But we started out just doing catering um, for friends and family. Um, Went to Austin, Texas and visited Franklin Barbecue. Had just an, I guess, out of body experience with brisket. And I was (laughs) like, oh, you know, I want to try to see if we could do this in Chicago. Uh, So came back and bought a, just a cheap Traeger pellet grill um, from Costco. So it wasn't even like the Traeger brand. It was like a Traeger Costco brand. So it's like super thin walls. Um, so it's just not like the Traeger quality. So I started doing that, um, started making brisket. It was horrible, uh, but just kept doing it and getting at it. Um, and then, you know, friends and family, they were like, you know, you should, uh. You should open up a catering company or something like that. You know, people always say that when you, you make decent food or you know food that's edible at a party. If they, if they're your friends or family. They're always going to tell you, hey, you should start a restaurant. So um, eventually, you know, I was still doing finance. Uh, that's where I got my degree at DePaul, um, and worked for I don't know 15 years or so. Uh, did the catering on the side. So the first catering gig that we ever did was for a 450 person party uh, it was a holiday party um someone just contacted me out of the blue um and you know i was like sure yeah i can i can do that and i just thought it was like one of my friends that were, they were just pranking me you know so i was like yeah sure i can do it uh, i just sent an email back to them like yeah whatever you need for this 450 person party we'll do and then they replied back like yeah uh send us a proposal and i was like oh shit okay so this is not like a prank. And um, then one thing led to another, and we were able to do a full service catering for for a bank. Um, so we did it for a couple of years before um, the regime changed a little bit. And, um, and they uh, the owner of the bank is no longer the owner of the bank. So we'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, and so my love for barbecue just kept growing. Um, Went back down to Austin a few times, tried some different places. Um, And then in 2019, I was just really kind of sick of doing the finance game. I was really burnt out. I was putting in long hours. Um, I didn't really see it going anywhere. Um, And so kind of made a decision. I was like, you know, we're going to go ahead and do this and quit my job. Try to do it full time. Broke my collarbone a week before I uh, quit. Then um I was on a one wheel it was very, very stupid. Uh and recovered from that, then February 19th, 2020, did a first pop-up at Perilla, which was our first pop-up uh this year. It went really well. I was gonna open up brick and mortar, and then you know, a month later something happened. I don't know, just stuff shut down for for a bit, some disease or some flu. Um and, <laughs> and so Depending kind of had to on who you ask,
0: ask. Right. <laughs> right? Right, right, right. <laughs> <Depending laughs> <who you> <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> so yeah, so um, yeah, during the pandemic, uh, kind of had to pivot into doing meal prep for people on special diets, uh, vegan, plant based, keto, paleo. So kind of did that whole delivery service uh, just to keep things afloat. Before when things opened up again, then. Went back down to Texas to stage at Leroy and Lewis for a weekend. Really kind of opened my eyes in terms of new school barbecue and what we do um, with kind of things that I grew up eating, but then also incorporating like Texas style. You know, in terms of like the technique, so like low and slow with the brisket, salt and pepper, which is now like Lowry's and pepper. So that's like the Texas secret. Uh, So really try to meld those two things together. and so far it's been, it's been awesome. It's been an extremely busy year for us and, um, you know, we look forward to, um, keep putting the pedals to the metal for, for next year. So cool. How did you,
1: uh, cause I know you do things like with brisket balmy right? Like that, like to me, it's like, you know, that's definitely like a fusion type of concept that, you know, maybe not too many people are familiar. Like, well, how did you get that inspiration of, incorporating, you know, Texas-style brisket with Bahamese, which I, I think we've discussed our love of Bahamese on this podcast before. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, during this process too, um, during during the food process, I was trying to think about ways that the food would be approachable. Um, so we're Chinese-Vietnamese. My parents were born in Vietnam, but we're, we're Chinese. I was born and raised here in Chicago. Um, and so one of the things I thought of was something that it's like hey is it you know by me it's pretty universal a lot of people know what it is but also there's a fair share of people who don't know what it is so every event that we do there's always someone that comes up and be like hey i want to try that ban my. it's called and then so you yeah, kind of explain <laughs> to them what it is um but you know every every culture has has barbecue has you know something smoked so like this this would work out um perfectly um, so, I'm like yeah let's do let's do brisket, let's do pork belly and um you know, made our own barbecue sauce, and we wanted something that people that's portable for people, uh, especially if we're doing papas at breweries where you don't have to get super messy um you can still enjoy your beer in one hand and and the sandwich in the other hand, you know? yeah,
1: no, that's really cool yeah i I definitely appreciate it. it's like a nice. I guess fusion, but then it's also, it, it, you know, food is definitely a good connector, I think, to cultures and to people. And I think that's like a good, like, you know, kind of like Korean tacos, right? I feel like it's a good combination and incorporates something familiar with something, you know, maybe your average person uh, isn't too familiar with. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. curious. yeah. How did you get involved then with like the pop-up scene? Like, did you have connections to, you know, brewers and like other caterers? Like, how did you get involved in that and just... Like what? What is the process like that for for people that maybe want to start like a, you know, a restaurant pop up? Like what is the process like that?
2: Uh, so, for for us, it was a little bit different. Where um, I knew a couple people that, so I I know the guys at Perilla really well, um, you know. But we just just had a conversation with people who are in charge of the restaurant. And um, but if you're if you're starting out and and you know you don't really know that many people in the restaurant industry, if you come from a different background the best way to get started is through social media is to finding places that do have rotating chefs that pop up so the first real uh the first place that kind of went to was uh, the Kedzie inn with the chicago reader um and mike sula they do a rotating chef every monday they call it the monday night football uh so I went there to check it out. I, I had no idea it existed, but when I was, you know, getting ready, to, you know, trying to really ramp up the Instagram stories and posts and things like that, I started looking to see uh, all the food influencers. You know, where, where are they going, or any any unique posts that I see. And so we landed on the food ball, and I was like, I'm gonna go try it. And then once you're there, you just have to network. Um, I think with any any type of uh, industry that you're in. So, I networked with a few people, talked to Mike Sula. Uh, I invited him out to a different pop-up that we were doing at uh, Empirical Brewery, which no longer exists, RIP. Um, and he came by, tried some brisket, loved it, and said, let's let's get you for a food ball. And so, from there, you kind of start building your your reputation, like people will see you at the food ball, other chefs who want to do the food ball or are part of the industry, you talk to them um, and then you kind of build relationships with people. And, you know, I'm all about doing collaborations. So um, started doing some collaborations with different different chefs uh, and kind of just built the awareness like that. And so um, it's it's a long process, I would say. Uh, it's a lot of long hours, a lot of interesting um, you know, you got to make a lot of mistakes along the way and don't beat yourself up for that. Uh, just keep going as long as you have someone. Um, I would say that, like, to be successful, you don't want to um, just feed your family and friends because they're always going to tell you that things are great. <laughs> so <laughs> if 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 I were to get in the food industry um, well, if I wanted to just have people tell me my food is great, then I would never sell it to anybody. I would just serve it to my family and friends and then call it a day so but you know we're crazy people so we decided to kind of take the climbs and be vulnerable and you know all that good stuff oh so.
1: yeah no it's yeah I, I i've had your food on a number of times i had it before you were cool too so i i will claim that um it definitely has improved uh it definitely helps that your equipment has improved too uh yeah. so yeah yeah but um no yeah no it's interesting I've I've always been you know kind of seeing you from afar from the gram or you know facebook whenever, never and you know kind of admired that transition that I think you made but um yeah so like you went from a career in finance and then you went mm-hmm. barbecue um it sounded like yeah you you wanted something different you, you didn't like the direction you were going at um curious yeah like you know what was the biggest change like lifestyle wise for yourself with regards to all that um, cause you know, I do know, yeah, the restaurant industry, yeah, you work a lot of hours and everything. And, you know, mean. meanwhile, it's like, I'm here like, oh, I got to do reports until seven o'clock, but I'm like, on the same chair working from home or something like that. Like, yeah. Like what's been the biggest change or difference for you?
2: Uh, the biggest change for me is like, it's hard to procrastinate. I'm the biggest procrastinator. And so, um, kind of going from, you know, like if you had a report due, you know, you'd be like, oh. Okay, I didn't get it done today. I can get it done tomorrow. You know, but with a pop-up setting or any catering event you're doing, like that's the like drop dead deadline. You can't you can't miss that deadline. You know, so um, it really prepares you to be uh, as organized as possible. And if you could do something today versus tomorrow, uh, you definitely want to do it today. Uh, so that's kind of been a big change in terms of uh, how I go about my day. Um, and then second is that like, there's no, there's nobody, there's no boss that's going to, you know, breathe down my neck and tell me I'm doing something wrong or whatever the case may be. It's, you know, you just kind of eat what you kill. And so, you know, you can work as much as you want or not as much as you want, but I know that if you don't work as much, then, you know, it's not going to be sustainable. And so we're trying to find some sustainability here too. So got it.
1: And then yeah, you talked about like a potential future brick and mortar. Like, is that something that you're really gunning for or are you kind of like you're, you're kind of where you're at right now? But, you know, maybe, you know, somewhere down the line, uh, it is something you want to be doing.
2: Yeah, um, it's still kind of not sure yet. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, I get the itch when I'm doing events for a few days or I have a, a residency for a week and I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, but, you know, there's I think COVID changed the the restaurant landscape, uh, the service industry as a whole. Um, more importantly, it also, you know, bred a lot of uh, micro makers, you call it. So mm-hmm. uh, I'd be considered a micromaker. All the people that um, that do pop ups that don't have a physical uh, brick and mortar, like they're considered micro makers um since since the like the service industry has changed because of covid you're always looking at different ways that you know maybe I don't have to have a brick and mortar and and rely on people to come to my restaurant you know' cause if there's a covid twenty twenty two or something like that like you're kind of screwed you know, so trying to find different ways to be able to make money but not really um have to have such a large investment and such a large uh, commitment in terms of renting things out and you know having a lease. So, um, with that said, I'm thinking about you know we've done a lot of collaborations. We're trying to build our social media followers, and so an idea that I have is we're going to start a YouTube channel. We're going to do some collaborations and just get people aware of what we're doing. Maybe we'll throw some recipes out there, of what we're making, and be like, hey, you know what? If you like what you saw here on this channel or uh, on this video, then, you know, we're going to be popping up at uh, Beguile Brewery or something like that um, in two weeks. So if you want to try whatever we made, like, feel free to come by. We'll be there. We'll be serving food there. Oh, so that sounds cool. that's kind of just, yeah, this is a different way of thinking about things. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of a lot of things to to open up a restaurant. And because um, then you start relying on other people and, you know. Like people are great, but also people aren't gonna take care of things the way that you would because you're the owner. And so mm-hmm. trying to find consistent great help is very difficult too.
0: I, I had a friend who started a food truck and I remember this is pre-pandemic. So were you saying that at the time of the pandemic they kind of loosened up some of the laws around Chicago where you didn't have to, you know, have a place, uh, you know, brick and mortar just to at least have a kitchen there? And uh I guess with that, is there any sort of like friction you see in the industry between those that are like you know sucked into a lease versus those that are micro making kind of disrupting the industry in that space
2: yeah um not necessarily I would say that um, if you look at it pre-pandemic um, the food truck scene in itself was very difficult because there's so many rules that you have to follow and I'm not sure if they loosened up the food truck rules to be honest with you all I know is that like space is very limited um, you have to have a 24-7 GPS on your truck at all times. You can't stay at a place for more than two hours, even if it's a private event. So there are a lot of things working against you. And then your investment is going to be like 50 grand just to get a truck up and running. So with with gas and everything like that, it's it's like, it's two times harder from what I heard from people who have food trucks and who have brick and mortars. Um, So I still... I don't see food trucks out as much anymore. Of course, I'm not like downtown in the the thick of it on Wacker Drive. Um, But I do know that they did open up their first like food truck parking lot somewhere here. in in, was it Logan or Wicker Park or somewhere like that? So I think people are starting to embrace, um, you know, the micromakers, and as well as you should. Like there's no one that's going to if you're a restaurant, there's no one that's going to, I think, take you down if you're just doing a food truck you know, or you're, you know, the, the pie is big enough. Everybody has to eat every single day, you know? Um, so whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner, there's always a niche that you can get after and there's always, yeah, always mouths to feed. So you can't make enough food for, for people. Um, so that's my belief at least.
1: Yeah. I mean, I eat three times a day. So, uh, sometimes, well, actually oftentimes more. So, uh, me too yeah you know well, I assume you do like you gotta test the <laughs> test the goods sometimes, right um
2: so you gotta test the goods yeah,
0: yeah
1: yeah, yeah, but no, it was I was gonna say, yeah it's, it was interesting you're talking about YouTube because it definitely has changed. I feel like you know it's it's become the place where like content creators like people are gonna go towards a brand or content created before they even try like something like. Mr. Beast, right? Like he's you know yeah. <laughs> has his own burger place and it's like you don't think of him initially as somebody that sells burgers or whatever, but then he I think he does like a hundred million in revenue now and he operates ghost kitchens or something like that mainly. So um Yeah. 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 Uh, big, big
2: thing in food is uh you don't have to be delicious, you just have to be consistent. So if you're consistently horrible, you know, people still go to you, they know that they're getting something horrible you still make money, right? But if I'm great one day and I'm horrible the next day, you know, people are like, what the hell, what are you? Are you great or are you horrible? You know, so <laughs> just being consistent. Like, so every every catering event I go to after I'm done, like I go to McDonald's, you know, people are like, oh, McDonald's is real food. Huh? I mean, there's, there's sustenance there, but I always order something from it because I just like the consistency factor of it. You know, like I know what I'm getting, you know, so.
1: Yeah. What are you, what are your favorite uh, restaurants in Chicago? Uh Uh, And yeah, I I know that you have allies, but I definitely don't want you to segregate them. But what are your personal like, hey, you know, I just got done with a shift. uh, I need some
2: grub. Where where are your places that you go to? Oh, um, well, I would absolutely go to Perilla for sure. Um, When we did our first pop up there, uh, it went really well. And then they took us um, like, once you're done cleaning up, we have some food for you, and they just served us a really, really awesome dinner. Um, and those guys do just amazing things. Their flavors are are dynamic, and their service is great. Um, so always up for that. Um, so that's more of like a sit down, sit down dinner. Uh, but what would I do in terms of if I want something quick? Um, I'd, I'd go to uh, I'd go to D'Amato's and get a sandwich, um, get some of their the their meatball sandwich, meatball sub or things like that. Their pizza is great. Um, so, yeah, something fast would be D'Amato's. Um Yeah, it's a tough one, man. After being in ministry, it's hard to. Uh, you know, my job is part professional eater because you have to try new things to to see, you know, just to expand and develop your palette. But at the same time, like, you know, you, you're very cost conscious too, right? You're like, well, I, I have to, you know, briskets, what? Four dollars, prime briskets, $4, dollars 4 10 a pound. I was paying upwards to $6 a pound at once. Um, and you lose like 50% of your trim. And you're looking at like $12 per pound is your cost. You know, how much are you gonna charge the customer you know it has to be above 30 dollars a pound um so yeah things are super expensive right now um you know and i don't know if it'll ever for the at least for the foreseeable future um go down to pre-pandemic prices. i don't know pre-war uh, i don't know it's kind of a it's kind of a very um it's, it's been like day i think for you know yeah. when covid happened, it's just like I just like yesterday I was wearing masks and now I don't have to don't wear masks. I don't wear masks. Whatever. I just follow the rules. you know.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah. I mean, moving on to, I guess, you know, yeah, the, your Chicago ne- connection with, uh, I know, like, yeah, the White Sox, right? And everything. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're a Northsider. Uh, Pat is also Northsider, but you're a White Sox fan. Explain to me this and I, how did this all come, come about? Uh, I know Pat's story, but I want to hear your story.
2: Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> when I was a kid, um, grew up in the, in the heyday with, uh, Frank Thomas, you know, one dog, Robin Ventura. Um, so they were like the best Chicago team. Um, both my parents worked, so they weren't able to like take me to ball games and things like that. But my aunt was, um, she's just like a fair weather fan. So, um, she took me to the Sox stadium um, instead of the Cubs. And then that's how I became a White Sox fan. Um, so, so if the, if the Cubs are good, then, then I'd probably be a Cubs fan, but it's hard to kind of fathom that, you know, I didn't even like Wrigley to be honest with you. I thought it was just super dirty and, you know, pre-Rickets obviously. And I was like, man, Comiskey is where it's at, you know, or guaranteed rate or whatever the hell it's called nowadays. But.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 Cause I know you're a couple years older than me. So it's like, yeah. Frank Thomas, Robin Ventura, uh, Ray Durham. Right. Like I feel like. Ray Durham. Yeah. 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 Do you, have, you got a favorite player, uh,
2: for White Sox player of all time. Favorite White Sox player. Ooh. Hmm. I mean, it'd have to be Frank Thomas, you know, I know he didn't have like a, a graceful exit from the Sox um, or was really liked by his teammates, but man, he is a, an outstanding hitter, you know, and it was kind of sad to see that he uh, wasn't like a huge part of the world series team. Um, I think he got injured during, during that time and he couldn't play in the, in the uh, playoffs. So, um, but just seeing him in the middle of the lineup, you know, over a hundred walks um, in the season and just batting over 300, I mean, he's just a big dude, and I don't think he did steroids, you know. So he he was awesome. So that's probably my favorite. Um, my second would be Joe Creedy. Um, I think he had, like, great potential. His back obviously hurt him, but he could have been an MVP type of player, um, I think, if he would have stayed healthy and, and you know, kept with the uh, organization. So, yeah. He was clutch, I think.
1: Yeah, he was. His defensive plays during the World Series was—they were just nuts. Like,
2: yeah, that was a run. Yeah, yeah. Alexei yeah. Ramirez, great too. Cuban missile.
0: Yeah, Alexei. Okay.
2: <laughs> Alexei. I
0: actually shouted out to Alexei Ramirez in, in Viagra Triangle. He was uh, taking a left-hand <laughs> turn. I think he had either a Chrysler 300 or a really nice. Rolls you know rolls royce or something, but he's taking this left hand <laughs> turn and i just looked over and i saw him and i just yelled "Alexei!" and he's like <laughs> put a hand up and like drove away so i was like "Oh, that's pretty oh. cool but that's uh it's great you didn't you didn't cause
2: a crash or anything like that was like, <laughs> <laughs> i
0: guess not i think he, i caught him by surprise so he at least gave me like a a knot you know but uh other than that i think he was cruising I mean, could you imagine yeah.
1: that? Like, oh yeah, Lex is on the 15 day DL or whatever. Oh, he got a little whiplash uh, because he said hi to some, um, you know, yeah, right? prick or whatever
2: on Viagra Triangle. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I, I yeah, saw. Um, I saw. I ran into Josh Beckett um, in the Viagra Triangle. This was years ago, obviously, um, but he was actually playing for the Red Sox, and um, it was like pouring rain. I forgot where we were, but I was like he was in like a party bus. It was just a huge party bus that had so many lights in there, a couple of stripper poles or whatnot. So he was out waiting for it. And um, I was like, Josh Beckett? He's like, he's like, yeah. I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I remember, uh, you know, when you were with the Marlins and you came back and you just, you know, destroyed the Cubs. You know, that was, that was one of my favorite moments. And he just kind of chuckled, laughed, and then like, he just left. But he actually um, was scheduled to start that couple days or whatever the next day but he was a, a scratch uh, against the cubs actually so it was an interleague play um and i was like oh he probably party too much or something like that i don't know yeah
1: yeah well i mean he did have a a little bit of a reputation i think uh you know during that time so i guess it makes sense you no know, for sure um i had a friend I, I, this wasn't this isn't my story there was a boss i had talked about jerry Sloan. um he, there was like a bartender that somebody asked him. Uh, uh, one of my guys, or one of my friends asked the bartender that he was good friends with to uh, do some things to Jerry Sloan, uh, basically get him fucked up essentially. <laughs> uh, and so that occurred. Uh, and then I think it was wow. like the next day, like, you know, I think this was like during the playoffs or something like that with the Bulls, um, you know, uh, when he was the Utah Jazz. Uh, and I think they lost the next day or something like that. So Again, I don't know if it's true or not, but yeah, in the end, people are people and you know, all the sports people we talk to, uh, they get crazy too, right? So no, it all makes sense. Um Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I have another story. I, I went uh I went down to Nashville and uh I was at a bar, it was it was by Vanderbilt and I saw this like huge dude there and I'm like that looks like Albert Hainsworth. So I went up to the guy, I was like, Hey, are you are you like are you Hainsworth? He's like He's like, yeah. I'm like, man, I remember this is when he was playing for the Redskins. Um, I remember when he like was uh, it was Jay Cutler's time and he pushed one of our offensive linemen and sacked Jay Cutler just by pushing the O-line guy. I forget who it was, but, you know, so I was like, man, I remember that play, man. That's crazy. He's like, it's like Jay's my friend. I'm like,
0: cool. And then
2: I just walked away. I was just like, that's weird. Uh, <laughs>
0: Didn't he like <laughs> step on some guy's head or something? I remember he getting like serious, serious trouble, some, like with Tennessee like or something that, like
2: yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something like that. But I was, I was like, damn, yeah, that was. Uh, I was like, man, so strong. He's like, yeah, Jay's my friend. i was like, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: You go figure, because Jay went to Vandy then, right? And I don't know if Haynesworth did, but maybe they were teammates at one time. Who knows?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. J-
1: J. Cole was actually pretty interesting. Guy. I don't know if you listen to, uh, I mean, he does have his own podcast too, but even beforehand, he um, yeah, he was like on ESPN, like talking to like Tom and uh, Tom Waddle, right, I believe. Like he had like a Monday, mm-hmm. was a Monday morning quarterback thing. Like I listened to that anyway. He, he seemed like an okay dude or whatever, but then, yeah. yeah, yeah, his little demeanor off the field, I feel like, you know, he just looks like he's, he, you got that smoking J thing, right? Like he <laughs> <Right. laughs> just has a, just, right. just a look on his face, so. But
2: statistically speaking, he's the best Bears quarterback (laughs) in history, right? Yeah, He holds a lot of the records. That's all hopefully
1: now, right? Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully Hopefully. it's different.
0: Yeah, Yeah, we'll see. Give give Fields like two more years and that'll be, you know, history too. But uh,
2: I actually saw (laughs) Jay Cutler. Oh, go ahead. (laughs) I just hope that, you know, we can protect Fields before
0: he's taking some hits, man. I was going to say, I actually saw Jay Cutler uh, randomly signing autographs in Chicago last weekend. So I was like, man, that just doesn't seem like a Jay Cutler thing. Like he was at Soldier Field, like shaking little kids' hands and stuff. I'm like, man, it's like, where was this guy? Like the entire time he was with our team, you know?
2: Right, right. He's probably like, how do you like me now, guys? You know, after going through the slew of quarterbacks. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much.
1: He was also a reality TV star. Like I watched that; he was awesome in there. <laughs> he, he was, he was the most hilarious. Uh, I mean, I don't watch like trashy uh, reality TV shows, but in this case I definitely did. And mm-hmm. he made he really made the show. I think you know when he was with Kristen Cavallari and, and that whole thing. So, um, yeah, like hilarious, like very subtle humor, which is my I think my jam. I feel like so, yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, that's cool. Um yeah I guess speaking of Bears and everything like yeah who's who's your uh who's your Bears player who's your favorite Bears player uh either all-time or current or
2: both Ooh okay um let's see I well everybody likes Fields right now um I would say back in the day I'd say Matt Forte um you know he was super steady I, I remember like his rookie season he had this huge run against the Colts. Um, so Forte comes to mind, but, you know, I would have to say my favorite is, is Devin Hester. Um, he was just awesome, electrifying. Um, and, you know, if he would have developed for route running, like he would be just a crazy, probably like a modern day Randy Moss, maybe, you know, just super speedy. I guess he's like um, a slimmer Tyree Hill, I guess you would say now. Um, so yeah, Matt Forte and Devin Hester, um, those are the two that come to my mind in terms of favorite Bears players. Mine's Charles Tillman. Uh, I, I'm all about the peanut, peanut punch.
1: punch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I think he became like an FBI agent too, or CIA or something like that. Like he got, he got all, uh, federal or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's-
0: interesting
2: yeah. guy.
1: I guess yeah, and then on top of that, yeah, who's your favorite who's your Bulls uh favorite Bulls
2: player uh growing up or what? I mean, do we do we count MJ or do we do we just put <laughs> that off? To, we put that off to the side then, is that is that what we should do because that should any Bulls fan would tell you that, right? Um I mean, I always like Scotty Pippen, so yeah. yeah. Pippen was great. He did all the things that, you know, Jordan couldn't do or you know couldn't focus on during the games um but he's just scoring probably, too
0: much right <laughs> yeah he was scoring too much i'm gonna score and, 50 points whatever you want to do like just do, do everything else
2: <laughs> right right yeah and you had rodman or ho grant catching getting the rebounds getting the misses um but i would say uh derrick rose is, is my favorite uh, bulls player non michael jordan um so he's he's got He gets a bad rap at times, I feel like. But I think people are starting to warm up to the idea that, you know, back in the day, you know, now with all this technology and everything, you know, you see guys like Kawhi Leonard who maybe played six games this season. And, you know, he's really coming back from the Achilles and taking his time. So so same thing with Zach Levine where he didn't play back-to-backs depending on how his knee feels. Um, So they're really starting to take care of the athletes and really looking – at them as an investment so i wonder if they did that with uh derek how long his career in his peak form would last you know so it's unfortunate that management kind of leaked out that like yeah he can return you know and i forget what it was 2013 or something like that i forget it's like 10 years ago yeah. um if you think about it that's like wow shit 10 years ago but they leaked it and like his camp and. You know the Bulls camp, and then there was the Adidas camp. They were all like kind of promoting different things. I feel like so, it was definitely some mismanagement. And it was unfortunate because uh, he was a great player, represented Chicago.
1: Yeah, that that's where I feel like like it makes sense for him to eventually come back. But I don't know, like those scars. I think I mean it's new management now a little bit, right? So, uh, but yeah, still so maybe some of the same faces. That's like yeah, maybe maybe not. So, but I think. Chicago would like definitely want him back, you know, if if the timing's right, right? You know, so
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he should, you know, they it's it's one guy that's on top, right? Reinsdorf that kind of makes the final decision. And so you're like, you can't really think about I mean, he's he had success, but it was like kind of catching lightning in a bottle with with mm-hmm. uh being able to draft Jordan and then just putting pieces around him, you know, and then finding like Jerry Krause, to his credit, Tony Kukoc, um, players like that. But they had a lot of misses too, you know. Twin Towers didn't work out with uh, Chandler and Curry. Um, who else? Had Ron Mercer. For some reason, keep draft- drafting <laughs> Iowa State guys, right? Like, uh, who was it? Um, Marcus Pfizer was Iowa. Um, yeah. Hoiberg was Iowa. Uh,
1: Iowa State, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys Iowa are State. Iowa State.
2: Pfizer too, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll state. Yeah. Tim Floyd, yeah. right? I think Tim, Tim Floyd. Yeah. Tim Floyd 2.0 was uh um what's his name? Get the other guy. But yeah, so there were tons of guys that went in the system where it's like you got to have I think they're doing it right right now, you know. Arturo um and then having the right coach and Billy Donovan, really basketball minded people versus like hey, we're going to try this new thing. As you know, Phil Jackson was like a he was kind of a a like project too right he didn't really have too much experience in the pros he was like uh, overseas doing like ayahuasca or something like that and then coaching the a <laughs> team or something like that I don't know <laughs> but it worked out it worked out for them right the Zen master so
0: yeah. yeah I always felt bad about the uh the Ron Artest Brad Miller trade to Indiana like pulling over like a Jalen Rose who was kind of over his own hill at the time still a good scorer but it was like just looking at all the potential Ron Artest had, um, you know, despite his, you know, just persona and everything else, like that, that was a backbreaker the second it, you know, it happened. I remember it like it was yesterday.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, that was a interesting trade. The one that comes to mind for me is when uh, for some reason, the Bulls are like, we're going to get younger. We want to get younger and more athletic. So we're trading for Dwayne Wade. Like dudes like <laughs> career, that was a horrible trade. Like it didn't work yeah. out. For for the Bulls. And I felt bad that, like, you know, he came back home and he had to just deal with whatever. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And he totally got in the head of uh, Jimmy Butler at that time, too. It was like Jimmy was looking up to role models and uh, it was like Rajon Rondo was actually doing the right thing and like being a great mentor for the young guys. And it just seemed like he had Dwayne on his other side, like, you know, I'm too good for this or, you know, whatever it was. But I think, that, I think that definitely rubbed off on Jimmy. And then it was like, the next thing we know, he's like, I want out. And it's like, Great. Like right. so glad we brought D Wade here, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 It's crazy. What well, yeah, yeah. It was Dwayne Wade that told Jimmy, like you would fit right in Miami, I believe, right? So yeah. In in yeah. a way, yeah, we brought him in and get him out. But I know, yeah, they wanted to do other things, I think, with Jimmy and yeah, trade trade for picks and stuff. And yeah, it didn't work too out too well in uh Minnesota, but uh yeah, it's flourishing now, um, you know, with the heat. So yeah, because, yeah. yeah, they I just have that do- dog mentality, yeah.
2: Yeah, they're not doing too well this year, record-wise. They're like 8-11 and 11 or something like that.
1: Yeah, they're still a little older, I think. But, yeah, you know, hopefully, though, I know with – I mean, they do have some younger players. They do have uh, – was it Max Struess, uh, Mr. DePaul basketball now? So, like, we got oh, one yeah. guy in the league. Like, yeah. But, yeah, I think age is a little bit catching up to them, you know, with Lowry and, and Jimmy's only getting older, too, right? So – um, yeah. Yeah. Bam's yeah. great. Yeah. Bam. Tower Heroes on occasion. Like, love his good streaks, but still. it's oh, such a massive contract. Holy shit.
2: Yeah. An for, for six man. you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's the, con- yeah, basically they just recruit from Kentucky. I think that's their whole strategy, right? So Yeah. Yeah, Bulls yeah. recruit from sure. Iowa State. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh,
2: he yeah, recruited from Kentucky. So <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't get Tyrese Halliburton. He was Iowa State, right?
0: Right. I, yeah, I was it's really one... upset about that one for sure. Yeah, <laughs> one time to do
2: it. Yeah. The
1: one time to draft somebody from Iowa State. Right.
2: <laughs> who do, Who do we pick yeah. up instead? Oh, Patrick Miller. Pat. No. Yeah, yeah. Or Pat Williams. Williams. Sorry, Williams. Pat <laughs> yeah. 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 Because I mean hey
0: be way better off with me, I'm telling you. they would be better off putting <laughs> me at the four. I'll shoot some threes, you know. You you try to.
2: Yeah, you can definitely average what you know Pat Williams is averaging right now.
0: <laughs>
1: Sounds yeah. great, yeah, man. Else? Sign me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but um, yeah, I know uh yeah, and I guess, yeah, going back to food and everything, you know, we usually like to kind of end it off with regards to caring more about your favorite food items, and you know, obviously barbecue. I think is is all a staple in your heart and everything. Um, mm-hmm. It is winter. Curious to know, like, what are like your holiday treats, holiday meals that you gravitate towards this time of year?
2: Who, um, I just like the actually the traditional stuff. So, uh, I'm not a huge fan of turkey, but I'll eat all the other all the other things. I think turkey is just a little too dry. Um, but all the other holiday things, I'll eat. You know,
1: Pat's <laughs> laughing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> not, not laughing at you, laughing with you. We had a full Thanksgiving review, and uh, man, it's like you know, it, it, it's like on a like if there's A to F, like I give it like a solid like C minus D plus. Like it's just not my thing. So just it's kind of like music to my ears.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's um. It's I think there's a reason why we only need like once a year. Like it's yeah. You know it's it's. <laughs> Have the excess of turkeys or something like that. Well, let's make a holiday out of it. I don't know.
0: It's It's, non-perishable pilgrim food that just, you know, really belongs at an Aldi and that's pretty much it. Like keep it there 364 days a year, pretty much.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But you could like, you could brine it and then sous vide it and then like deep fry it. So it would be tender, like a piece of chicken breast um, if you do it right. Mm -hmm. But it just takes a lot of time to do. I don't know if you want to have a two, three day process where you're like, butchering your turkey and then you're taking it and then you're you're brining it and then you're taking it out you're going to sous vide it and like some duck fat or whatever the case may be then you're going to let it cool then you're going to get the deep fryer out and then you're going to fry it and by that time you're like shit i'll just go to boston market and just get something (laughs) similar.
0: I was gonna say, man, if we've got Charles Wong making the meal, like that's one thing. But like, we've got some fifty-year-olds, you know, you know, sixty-year-old ladies, you know. No offense to family or anything like that, but like, some some really don't know what they're doing in the kitchen. So
2: yeah, you know. they're like, oh, I'm I'm used to this this dryness or whatever. It's like it's good, you know. You're like, ah, I, there's a reason why there's gravy and and cranberry sauce. <laughs> you know, without that, you're like, what do I do now? How can I eat this? And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's
1: like putting ketchup on a hot dog type of thing. except you do it once a year, right? It's like why why do we why do we say that this is a good meal when the, we like people only prep this meal once a year and they do it terribly. Like I I never got the rationale for it. Yeah, but yeah,
2: yeah, it's not the yeah it's not the best. I would say uh, Christmas time comes around though. You got prime rib that people do, um, which is good. So we're we're thinking about smoking some prime rib and making like prime rib sandwiches. Um, so. Things like that. Um, so being in the industry now, it's, uh, you know, you, you're you always thinking ahead. So like we're thinking about Christmas is already kind of here for me. So it's like Valentine's Day, Chinese New Year. What are we doing there? So, But we got an um, interesting collaboration coming up that we haven't uh, broadcast yet. Um, but I will do it exclusively here on the Ball and Breakfast podcast for all the people watching. Um, this January, we're going to be, uh, teaming up with honey butter fried chicken. Um, we're going to be doing a chicken fried brisket, um, sandwich. Uh, so it's in the works and it should be out in the beginning of the year sometime when everybody's on their diets.
1: Perfect time. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Hey, honey butter fried chicken is my favorite diet or not. Like that's, that's what the gym's for, right? Like, yeah. And hey, you know what? Yeah, it's it's still cold, right? Beginning of the year and everything. So, you still need some of that natural insulation. So, um, yeah. I'm all for that. That sounds awesome, man.
2: Congrats. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh it's been a lot of a lot of work, a lot of uh a lot of bad food that I've made and a lot of like head <laughs> scratching like what the hell was I thinking type deal. But you get some hits every so often, you know. It's like it's like baseball. If you're right 30% of the time, you're a Hall of Famer, you know. So, yeah. just think about that. <laughs> cool uh where where should where can people follow you
1: uh you you got a website your ig you want to give it out yeah
2: yeah website here uh umamiq.com uh also ig at umamiq um we the swag has been so long um so we're going to try to get some more swag and um yeah well i think we're gonna do some giveaways we're gonna do we're gonna do a 5k giveaway um not five thousand dollars because yeah, you know, that's a lot of money, but um five thousand followers. Once we once we hit that plateau, we're gonna do a five K giveaway. So uh look out for that. It's gonna be a while. But we started with three hundred this year. We're at thirty eight hundred right now. So we're climbing up the ranks. Well
1: cool. so. we'll help you get, get get you reach your goal there. So yeah, definitely. Awesome. All, that sounds awesome. Cool. All right. All right. Well, I guess, you know, with that all that, um yeah, this is Wayne. This is Pat, our guest, Charles wall, thank you for uh, 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 being on here and everything. Um, this is the ball and breakfast podcast.